get real advice from renowned experts and entrepreneurs on today's business leaders. Here's your host, Gabe Arnold. All right, on today's show, I have Rich DeTico, and we have been hanging out uh, online for quite a few years now and been friends, and uh, Rich has grown quite the quite the business over the last couple of years. So I am super excited to have him here and just share a real authentic story of what it's like to, to be an entrepreneur, what you go through. So welcome to the show, Rich. So stoked to be here, Gabe. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, a, it's been a lot of fun to see your journey. And we've, we've done little projects off and on. I was just looking through my email earlier and I was like, oh yeah, we did that together. So we've done some things off and on over the years. Um, but in the last couple of years, I've just seen you really get focused and, and blow up, which we'll, we'll get to here in a second. But before we get there, um, when did you first realize that you were an entrepreneur? Um, so when I was, uh, when I was around four years old, I started banging on pots and pans with the spoons in the kitchen. And um, that kind of morphed into my parents buying me a toy drum set, which I destroyed very quickly. And then, so they bought me a real drum set. And um, I, uh, I played that drum set all the time. Um, put on my parents' records and played along. And I, I pretty quickly realized that no one was going to um, give me a nine to five playing the drums. So um, I, I think anyone who wants to be a professional artist and uh, be, you know, be some sort of creative already has that entrepreneurial spirit if they're determined to go in that direction. Um, you could choose, I guess, to teach or um, you know, do something else with that urge. But for me, I was never uh, very good at being an employee. I always wanted to be the one with the ideas uh, who was helping others um, come on board and execute those ideas. Uh, and I, in general, disliked um, being told <laughs> what the idea was and how I should be contributing to it. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I'd say the, even though I didn't realize that I was an entrepreneur, I, it's always been there. Mm -hmm. um, the first time I really started my own business was around, um, around the time that I became a jingle composer in New York City at 26. I was writing music for TV commercials and... Um, no, I was, I was my own entity. How'd you uh, get into that? So that, um, in my teens, I got something called a four track machine. Mm -hmm. uh, and for those who don't know what a four track machine is, uh, it just, it used a regular cassette tape. And if, I guess if you're under 30, you might not know what a cassette tape is, but <laughs> it used to be a thing you bought. Music for. <laughs> I used to have a four track too. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, you it would take um, you could layer four elements on top of each other. So I was writing songs, and then I was playing the drums, playing the bass, playing the guitar, and singing. Those so making my own home recordings. 
and my home recording setup got more and more complex as I got older. And that kind of dovetailed with me going to school for music. Um, and so as my musical abilities and my technical recording abilities kind of leveled up parallel to each other, um, I eventually got an internship at a studio in New York City. Um, and that turned into me writing on some spots with that studio and then eventually becoming an employee and then eventually becoming um, a staff writer at that company. It's unless you're like the nephew of the guy that owns the place, an internship is kind of the only way into one of those jobs. Yeah. Everybody, everybody I knew that worked there was an intern at some point. Um, working a highly unpaid job as <laughs> an intern. Um, but it was great because you're, it's better than any college education because you were in there doing it. Um, and, you know, I had to be really good at sweeping floors. I had to be really good at making coffee and keeping the place clean. And when I was able to show them that I could be trusted with the basic stuff, then they could trust me with the more complex stuff. And that was a really good, that was a really good lesson to not, um, you know, never let your ego get in the way. You always have something to learn. And the way you do one thing is the way you do everything else. So if you half-ass sweeping the floor, you're gonna half-ass uh, writing a piece of music too, um, probably. Yeah. I realize that analogy is not 100% true. It has some merit though, for sure. <laughs> Was it, um, I'm curious because I'm a huge music fan, so, so we're going to detour for a minute, but <laughs> did you primarily do like commercial stuff in the studio or like commercial jingles, things like that? Or was there any like mainstream artists or pop artists or anything like that? Yeah. So I, um, with the company, uh, you know, they gave me a room. They gave me like access to everything administrative in the place mm -hmm. Exchange for that whenever, um, a brief came in for a commercial, I wrote them. Whenever there was nothing to do, I could use that space for whatever I wanted. And so I was producing uh, independent artists and um, writing with those artists and um, helping them, you know, helping them make the recordings for the most part at that stage, just for free, just for the joy of it. Yeah. Uh, and then when I left that, um, that studio when I went from being in-house at a place to having my own studio and my own business um, I started producing those artists for um, you know for a fee and for a little bit of back end um, I started to take the focus off of the commercials and doing more of the artist stuff um, but uh, the paychecks were always in uh, writing for IBM and American Express, not for. <laughs> not for the indie bands? <laughs> not really, not so much. Um, I've recorded a couple times in, uh, in, for, I've recorded in studios a couple times with some bands I've been in and yeah, there's absolutely no money in that end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, and I, I have tracks um, that I've produced and written on that have, you know, three, four million listens on Spotify, but. Yeah. It's a nice, it's a fun number to look at. Right. <laughs> but uh, it doesn't, it doesn't have a dollar sign next to it. That's for sure. 
<laughs> that's super cool man i didn't realize that you were until you sent in some notes i didn't realize that you were such a musician and so into that i i pr play poorly and compose a little edm and i still mess with it because it's something i like but i, I have no idea yeah i gotta i gotta listen so yeah. <laughs> you know it actually um funny enough uh the music career and what i do now really um you know, I owe what I'm doing now to the fact that I was producing bands because um, we would we would be working together on a project and we'd get to the end of the thing and it'd be all done. And I'd be like, okay, guys, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with this? Are you going to drop it to labels? Are you going to release it yourselves? And most of them would plan on releasing themselves, but they had no idea how to approach marketing. it. So um, I took some Facebook ads courses and I was trying to help these bands that I was working with and these artists I was working with promote their stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I was able to help them get a lot more exposure than they would have gotten otherwise. Right. Uh, but as you know, if you're trying to start a digital agency, uh, musicians are not a great market. <laughs> it's not a great niche. Uh, you're not going to be a millionaire, right? <laughs> I'm sure you're surprised. Uh, so, but, uh, you know, folks that in other industries that I knew, like, um, friends that were real estate agents and, uh, landscapers and roofers were like, Hey, I see that you're studying and you're getting good at Facebook ads. Can you run some stuff for me? Nice. Uh, so that's where, that's where this whole thing start, where I'm at now really came from, uh, wanting to help the bands and the artists I was working with get their stuff out there. Yeah, and I think a really important point that, that you said, but just to reiterate, is that you went in there and worked for free to learn the business and to get in and to add value. And you realized that if you didn't do your free work right, then nobody would do, nobody would pay you to, to do any work either. And you never would have had the opportunities, which would never obviously would have led to learning Facebook and led to where you are today. And I think um, I have yet to meet a successful entrepreneur like yourself that hasn't uh, really like dove in and learned something for free or showed up for free or done the work ahead of time. One of the first clients I ever built on a website for had written a book called paid training, which I think it's still out there, but he talked about, he's like, you should just, you know, put in the time, like do the work, like go learn the thing before you want to go open your business and you'll yeah. save yourself a ton of headache and, you know, and it'll open up tons of opportunities and you'll build your network. And uh, th there's so much, <clears throat> obviously, guru speak out there of like, oh, do these three things and you'll, you know, make millions with bands or something silly like that. <laughs> but yeah. if you actually put in the time and the effort and you invest and you think long term, then you can open up more opportunities than you'll ever know what to do with. And right. I, I, it's just super important for people to realize that you it's really key to like put in the time, actually become an expert, like yeah. learn, fail, keep trying, you know, that's the stuff that will lead you forward. Not, not some, not that we don't need courses or learning or like things to, to get us there, but there's no shortcut to just gaining experience. And I'm, it's super cool to hear that you, you put in the time and did it the right way. And it, it's landed you some of you somewhere pretty incredible. Yeah. And, no, and there was a lot of, um, you know, um, I can't think of a better phrase. So there's a lot of tripping over my own dick to get here. Um, uh, 
and a lot of feeling like a failure and feeling like things were not working and will, would never work. Yeah. But pushing, pushing through that. Um, it's like a, it's a familiar feeling for an artist. Um, you know, most artists can, uh, can do a great job at something and very easily be convinced otherwise. Um, so, uh, for me to keep trying stuff and keep failing, but failing better, um, and, you know, abandoning stuff for a while and going off and doing something else and then coming back to it with a new perspective. Um, it's, it's all, you know, it's all worked in the end because of that persistence. Yeah. yeah. That's the, that's the only golden ticket in entrepreneurship is persistence. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, you know, being a generalist as a digital marketer was, like I made some money, but it, I was very hard work the whole time. Yeah. Um, and doing it for anybody and everybody that had a business, um, you know, the businesses that can, can be a general digital marketing company, they have big teams and a lot of complexity. Mm -hmm. For me, um, you know, stepping away from being a marketer and learning about real estate, uh, in particular real estate investing and then coming back into marketing as someone who had actually worked in the space I was trying to service, understanding what the market needed and not just building them marketing, but building the whole mousetrap. Yeah. Um, that's, that's when everything clicked and like, yeah, now we're in gear. Yeah. Uh, so how, how long did you kind of just stay general and not, not really find momentum? And then you, you mentioned like, then you became the real estate agent, which I think is super wise. Cause like you said, then you can actually serve people. Um, so you got into it, like talk us through a little more depth. Like w when did you realize that you weren't going to get the progress you wanted or the result you wanted from being general and then kind of what was the path like? Yeah, well, um, so I had, um, in phase one, kind of toward the end of phase one of um, agency ownership, uh, decided to focus on real estate agents mm -hmm. market. Um, but it was always very clumsy because I would I was trying to sound like I knew what I was talking about, but I really didn't because I didn't know what it was like to be them. Yeah. Uh, and but I did make friends with a lot of agents, you know, people that are really close friends to this day. Um, and they started lending me books and suggesting podcasts and websites. Um, if you ever want to get your feet wet in the world of real estate investing, I highly recommend bigger pockets. Um, great website, tons of resources. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the, the fellas that run that have some awesome books out. Um, about kind of different different buckets you could put yourself in as an investor if you want to. And the other thing is good investors, they niche as well. They're like, I do this one thing in this one area and I'm really good at it. Yeah. Um, but uh, where was I? Oh yeah, so um, I, I was recruited by a friend um, from like from this, time of 
uh, serving real estate agents. I was recruited by a friend who owned a huge um, kind of digital services company mm-hmm. um, to be their, you know, their, uh, their Facebook guy, their digital guy. Um, and surprise, surprise, working for your friends can suck. And <laughs> he turned out to be uh, a totally different person in when he was in work mode. Uh, and it was not, not, not enjoyable at all. Um, I think I remember talking around that period. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and I think part of our conversation was like, Gabe, save me, dude. I'm dying here. Um, <laughs> um, so, and that's when I decided to really um, go all out in terms of real estate and focus on that. Um, and after having a lot of success in the, the actual space that I was trying to, uh, you know, for once I was like, wow, this is successful. This feels right. Um, I'm at home in this and, um, I actually found, uh, I went on Upwork and I found a virtual assistant to help me take some of the, uh, some of the kind of day-to-day off my hands Mm -hmm. specifically looking for someone who uh, was experienced in real estate and I found uh, someone named Cece uh, who had worked in real estate before she was amazing total self-starter once you told her how to do something she took really amazing notes and created SOPs and uh, so she knew how to do it every time and never had to have it explained again. Uh, And then the success ramped up from adding this one person, Um, this one person who uh, for her, she was earning good money. But for me, it was like, like a couple cups of Starbucks a day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And she, uh, she started saying, you know, I have a lot of people in my circle who are able to do what I do. Mm-hmm. She's, sorry, based in Manila, Philippines, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in Manila, there are, um, there are call centers, like major call centers for corporations like Chase, AT&T, uh, Apple. So she was a QA and a trainer at Chase before she went freelance because she had a baby and didn't want to work in a corporate environment anymore. So just decided to do her own thing. So she asked me once, Hey, let's start a business where we reproduce our success. And I was like, okay, not now I'm really busy. She asked me again. Okay. Yeah. Not now I'm really busy. She asked me a third time. I was like, okay, uh, let's see what this looks like. So we started mapping it out. Um, and, um, we said, you know, what, what would it look like if we were kind of making a copy of this? So we built a whole operations manual for what we do so that we could then figure out the best way to package what we were doing for other people. So um, a, lot of, <clears throat> a lot of people, when they hire a virtual assistant, they run into the same problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are, um, they're trying to train a person when they're not, they're not experienced in training someone um 
And one of the reasons they have trouble training people is because they don't have clarity on what their business does and how their business does it. Um, yeah. So I'm sure you know the book, The E-Myth Revisited. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's big on like, if you're gonna manage something, you shouldn't be managing people, you should be ma- managing systems. And the yeah. people following the systems. Um, so we, we said, okay, we're gonna, number one, we're gonna help everybody that we work with develop systems for what they do. So whether they work with us for three months or 30 years, they have a document um, that, you know, they could, anybody competent in real estate could step into their business, open the document and know how to do the things that need to get done in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we said, okay, so based on that, that initial operations manual will be able to match them with the right person. Um, that person will be fluent in English, great on the phone, able to, able to fulfill on anything in that operations manual that could be done remotely. So it's as if they're in the next office. Um, and, oh, we're going we're gonna to manage that person for them too. So we have, we call our, we call our virtual assistants warriors instead of assistants because they're going into battle every day for their principal. Um, and then we manage them. Uh, we also layer in Facebook ads and Instagram ads. Um, we stand up tools and systems for these people. Um, and the goal is to take the busy work off their plate and to put pre-screened appointments with potential sellers on their calendar. Um, so we're not handing them leads, we're handing them opportunities. Yeah, big difference. <laughs> they just take the ball and you know get it across the goal line. And that's um, that's grown us to over 50k in monthly recurring revenue, um, and we're still still taking on new people every week. Uh, when did you? When did your? When did CC uh, convince you to to do this? And how, and how fast has that grown for you? Yeah, so it was um, last autumn okay. where she said, okay, this is, you know, please, please can we do it? <laughs> I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> because I, like even up to that point, I was still trying to chase too many rabbits. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I had yet to find my one thing mm-hmm. that I was really all in on. And excuse me. So two months in, uh, when it was very clear, like, oh, this is gonna work, I like I killed three other projects. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so we went from yeah, I mean, we we went from two clients to thirty clients in like six months. Holy cow! Yeah. <laughs> and how? How long did you, do you still do real estate yourself too? Or did you, did you set that aside just to focus on this business? I'm still holding the license, but, um, for now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I, um, I mean, I could, but I don't want to be distracted. Yeah. How, how long were you practicing real estate like full time or, or or, I don't know if it was full time because it sounds like you had a lot of things going, but how long were you out there doing the process? I was, I was doing real estate for about two years. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, you're right. Most of the time it was not 
it was not my main focus. It was just something I was dabbling in. Gotcha. How many, how many trans or how many homes did you sell or how many transactions did you go through in that two years? Do you think? I, I did um, a bunch of what's called wholesaling. Okay. Um, yep. Are you familiar with that? Kind yeah. Of thing? So, yep. um, and uh, yeah, just a couple of like kind of basic transactions that were, you know, fastballs down the middle, kind of basic real estate things, but mostly wholesaling. Gotcha. Uh, and yeah, I, I read a lot of books and watched a lot of videos, um, but in the end, uh, took took a bunch of action and you know uh, looked stupid a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but uh, it, yeah, it worked out um, to the point where I felt like I knew what I was doing enough um, to need a little help. You know, I have two kids. Um, my uh, my then wife, now ex, who I'm really I'm really close with her, even though we're not together anymore. Um, but she always had the very corporate, like, kind of eight to six schedule. Um, yeah. So I I always wanted to have that flexibility in my life to be able to drop the kids off, pick the kids up, spend time with them, cook breakfast, cook dinner. Um, and so adding, adding that help um, into my life with Cece was a huge move. Um, because for, for not a, for not a huge investment, I was able to uh, remain consistent in the in the things that were important to me in the business. Um, for instance, you know, if you're reaching out to someone who owns a home to talk to them about uh, the possibility of them selling it. Well, they, they might not be that interested now, but if they show even a tiny bit of interest, you should be able to follow up with them in six weeks. Um, yeah. And I, I would not have been able to stay on top of that stuff without her. Mm. Uh, the fortune is in the follow-up. It's really important to, uh, <laughs> yeah. Like when you put a pin in something to not forget about it forever. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was key to, to the success. Um, and for, for our clients, it's the same thing. Um, they're really, for the most part, really good at negotiating and having conversations with people. Um, but they're, you know, they're just like anybody um, staying consistent with the boring stuff is is difficult and yeah. you, you miss you can miss deals that are hot and ready to go because you were too busy trying to manage a crm or um you know do the things that you could easily delegate mm -hmm. and yeah that was uh, that was a huge lesson and it's it's the whole reason we're able to get our clients in the door and then keep them and, because they're happy because they feel the they're feeling the the vision that we painted for them in the demo presentation where we're like, we're going to take a bunch of stuff off your plate and you're going to make more money. Um, and then it actually happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is a nice feeling. It makes it easier to sell it. Yeah. Because you, when you're, you know, if you're just going through a demo presentation about 
uh, system that is unproven and you've ever never actually implemented it before, um, it's hard to ask for that money at the end. But if you're like, I know this works and I can guarantee that it works actually. Uh, so here's how much it is. If that doesn't work for you, I understand, but that's yeah. how much. That's awesome, man. That's super, super cool. I love, I love the path and, and the focus that, that you found. And I think, I think as entrepreneurs, we get lost and don't know where we are or don't know what's next. But if I think the thing you said earlier is just super key is like, if we keep persisting and trying the next thing or trying to figure it out, then I, I really believe that you will find it if you're persistent and like, it may not be the explainable normal path, you know, to other people. <laughs> But, right. but you can land there and that's, I'm just super excited for him. It's so awesome to hear the success. And I mean, um, and to be clear, like two parts are pretty interesting. One is like success super fast. If we looked at the last year, right? Yeah. <laughs> However, it, it, you know, it started from when you were interning for free, how many years ago? A long time ago, right? Yeah, 41 and that was when I was 25. So yeah. So a little bit ago. <laughs> so, um, but, but it sounds like one thing you said earlier too, that you failed better. Um, and I think that's a really interesting perspective and a wise perspective too, because if you can fail a little bit better every time <laughs> and, and learn a little bit more, learn a better or different lesson than it does. And you keep at it, it does accumulate. And then you, you know, you spent two years actually doing it all. So yeah. there was, there wasn't any guessing. There wasn't any just marketer speaks, right? It was actual, like, I know exactly what you need because I've been doing this and here's how it works. And I did it. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I think that's huge and, and definitely, you know, obviously a huge part of your success. And also in whatever method you guys use to recruit your warriors, it sounds like you've really nailed down or understand that there's people that just love the administrative and the follow-up and the detail work. Obviously CC does my, my assistant's the same way. He's phenomenal at like taking care of stuff that I fucking hate, like that I would never touch. Right. Uh, and then I get to do what I want. And then like, he thinks he has the greatest job in the world. And I think I have the greatest job in the world and we don't have to do the stuff we don't like. Um, so it sounds like you have that super nailed down. What was what was the learning curve or what was the process for you to learn to delegate? Cause for me still to this day, I'll sometimes I'll look back in the day and be like, man, I really didn't do well in delegation. Like, and I'm not a horrible delegator, but sometimes I just still fall into like, Oh, I could do that myself. Um, what was that learning curve for you? And are there any like principles that you've learned through this process around that? A really interesting question. And I've never been forced to think about the answer before. Um, but, uh, you know, way back when I was employed at the music house, uh, where I was writing jingles, I, um, I was given like a little extra side job, which was to manage the interns, basically every new hire and then had to turn around and be the guy managing the guys he was just interns with. Wow. <laughs> That's an interesting model. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was it was messed up. And then they had another rule where um, <laughs> you you know you you had to be the one interviewing the interns. And if an intern ever needed to be let go, you had if you hired them, you had to be the one to let them go. Um, 
So I got an early lesson in firing people too. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Not funny then, I'm sure, but that's a funny way to do it. <laughs> um, so, at, but then it wasn't hard. It was like, hey guys, there's dishes in the sink. Can you take care of it? Um, or um, whatever. This guy from Ogilvy is coming in. Can we please make sure the place is extra clean? Like it wasn't a big, it wasn't a big deal then, but in delegating something like, okay, here's a list of um, people that own, uh, you know, fourplexes in Orange County, uh, mm -hmm. call them and ask if they, um, ask if they want to sell. That was, you know, that was different because I knew that I could do it. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know if I could teach someone else to be able to do it. Yeah. And so we had to make sure we had a way to record calls so that we could review stuff together. And when something went well, we could listen and see why it went well. And when something didn't go well, we could also listen and see why it didn't go well. Uh, and uh, it came down to the, the key to effective delegation um, was to record the way I did things in a way that was clear enough that any competent person could look at my instructions and get good at it after you know, a handful of at-bats. Um, and of course, like that's, none of that stuff is ever chiseled in stone or perfect the first time you do it. Mm -hmm. uh, and you need to give people the freedom, especially with something like a cold call or a sales presentation to say, this is how I do it. And this is how it works well for me. Um, like I'm currently in the process of bringing on salespeople and we're going through, I'm showing them how I do the, the deck, but I realize that the way I do the deck is not going to be the best way for them to necessarily close people yeah, uh, because I've done it so many times and it has my personality kind of layered over the top of the slides. Yeah. Um, you're going to need to find a way to layer their personality over the slides so that it feels natural and like a, a conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, who is the um, tennis player? Um, in the seventies, I forget, very famous tennis, Arthur Ashe, he called his playing style, um, uh, tight, but loose or tight, but flexible or something like that. Um, and what he basically meant was like, he has his techniques and he has his, he has the exact ways he's able to do things, but, um, he's also able to flow in the moment and let things go. Um, so when you're delegating, yeah, you have to have really great processes for people, but you also need to trust them enough um, to make those processes their own. That's wise. <laughs> I think people either don't know what they're doing, so they can't delegate what you don't know, or, right. or, or they make it too rigid, and it ends up being, you know, doesn't work for the people that are supposed to do it. And that, so that's a 
that's a uh, definitely a good word. What what was the name of the tennis player? Arthur Ashe. And I think I might be mixing story. I, that might be a thing about Led Zeppelin or. <laughs> that's uh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to look it up later. So I was just curious. So. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's, I think you're right. I think um, my, one of the guys I, that I get to work with, uh, Brad Milford, he, he talks about this word that I never heard until I started working with him called uh, tensegrity, I think. I think I'm messing it up a little bit, but it's it's how like bridges span. They have flexibility and rigidity oh, yeah. in them. And I was like, oh, that's a pretty cool. So same concept you're talking about. Like you do have to have structure, but you have to have some flex for what happens every day. And like yeah. sometimes prospects just throw something random in and you have to deal with that or there's other times where like there's, you know, there's three more steps in the sales process and they want to buy now. So let them buy, like skip, like they're not everything is required. Right. So I, I love that. That's the approach you take. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, you have to, I mean, you have to realize that most with very few exceptions, most of the people that you're uh, teaching how to do the thing that you're really practiced at and really, kind of a natural at because you've done it so many times um it might take them a few weeks um, yeah. to get to a point that you even find acceptable so um i mean you have a kid you know how this is like yeah. patience <laughs> you know uh, i always tell people i have my son and then i have a bunch of other kids too <laughs> like not in, a, not in a negative way, but it's like, if you really are building a team, I think a huge piece of it is, is parenting them. Like they're going to be dealing with chaos in their life. You know, besides work, they're going to need, you know, encouragement. They probably were with some asshole boss before you, like there's a lot to unpack and then there's trust to build. And then you have to teach them, you know, and the hard part then is like, sometimes you have to let them go. Like if it's just not a good fit and, there's been a handful of times um, in my life where I've let people go and only a couple of times, but it's kind of cool. They come back and say, thanks for letting me go. It was the best thing you ever did for me. <laughs> um, but and like, but I believe like if you actually are serving and helping people that part of it is, you know, letting them go too, because it just may not work and they're, they're jammed up with you. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Raising team members and raising kids is a, is a lifelong project for sure. Right. And that reminds me, I, I've, I've been the victim of some very virtuous firings uh, in my life. Um, uh, there was a, my first job when I moved to New York was at like a mailbox store. It was very similar to uh, like a modern UPS store. It was in the West Village on Bleecker Street, a place called Your Neighborhood Office. Uh, it's not there anymore, uh, but the woman that owned it was uh, named Helen Ann and um, she was like a neighborhood kind of fixture because a lot of the celebrities lived around there. So um, like Amy Sedaris was in there a lot. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, rest in peace. Um, uh, David Blaine, like these were regulars that had like stuff sent to this place. So this woman was awesome. Yeah. At the, you know, this was like very early in my New York life. Um, before I was even close to doing any of the things I wanted to do, you know, the reasons I moved to New York in the first place. Um, and I came to her one Monday and I was like, can I take next week off? 
because I have this opportunity that I want to um, that I want to dive on. Um, it was like a you know it was like a transcription project or something for a big publishing company. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you know what? I gotta fire you. You can collect unemployment. It's fine, um, but. I can tell you have one foot out the door and this is a good opportunity for you. So just go do it and you're fired. And And I was like, Oh my God, for half a day, I was like, Oh my God, this sucks. And then the, after the half day passed, I was like, wow, she did that for my own good. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's always the way it should be. I wish it always was. It's not always, but yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. Awesome. So um, how, how can people find out about you, work with you? Who, who are you looking for? Tell, tell us a little bit more about that. We'd be happy to support you and keep the good growth going. It's super exciting to hear all this, man. Thank you so much. Um, so yeah, we really do just work with real estate investors. Um, some of the investors we work with are also agents. Um, and we're open to working. We're open to working with agents, but um, in general, it's uh, not not been the the best fit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think any agent that we worked with would have to be um, really like hitting a wall in terms of uh, just not having enough hours in the day and really seeing the value in bringing on a company company like us. So yeah, if you're an agent just starting out. Uh, peace and love, but probably not the right time for us. Um, so anyway, with that said, uh, we're at uh, wearemarketpeople.com. Uh, if you email me, rich at wearemarketpeople, um, I'll send you some goodies. I'll send you the the cold calling scripts um, and the dialogues that we use with sellers uh, to create the appointments we create um, uh, for our clients. So that's rich, R-I-C-H at wearemarketpeople.com. And of course you can go to our website and uh, see some testimonials from uh, our clients who are getting great results in uh, in the space as a result of what we're doing for them. And um, lots of um, testimonials and tutorial videos. Uh, If you go to uh, youtube.com uh, and search for We Are Market People. Our, our channel is there. And uh, yeah, if you're if you're in the real estate space, I'd love to hear from you. Very cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Rich. This has been a great conversation. We'll definitely have you back in another six months or a year and kind of see how things are progressing. But I'm I'm super happy for you. It's, it's awesome to see all the hard work pay off, and it's it's really cool to see how you figured out what to focus in on and that things just exploded then. Cause I, I think that's, I don't think that's something that we can necessarily do as entrepreneurs early on. So I don't think that people watching or listening should, you know, feel like they have to figure out their one thing day one, but, but maybe just to keep in mind that if you do have the opportunity to narrow down to one or maybe two things at most, then you can just pour so much more into it. Um, and the, and the other big piece like that, you know, a huge theme through our conversation just to, to remind people is that if you actually go out and get real world experience in the industry that you want to serve, it's way easier to serve them instead of just theorizing and, you know, regurgitating something you heard somewhere else, like actually get in the trenches and figure it out. So. Yeah, exactly. And, and that could also mean, um, 
you know, if you want, if you want to serve a certain industry, um, reaching out to business owners in that industry and saying, I'm open to learning. I'm brand new to this. Um, can I, can I, but I'm great at Facebook ads. Can I run your marketing for, you know, at cost for mm -hmm. a few months just to get my feet wet and to get an understanding of what I'm doing? Yeah. Um, never go out of pocket. Like don't, don't be covering their ad spend and shit like that. Right. Because that's because they're just not going to respect you and they're not going to, uh, value what you're doing at all right. so make, make sure they have skin in the game um but also be willing to um set your ego aside and know that you have something to learn commit to really grinding hard to yeah. learn that as possible um so yeah man I'd, yeah, I'd love to come back on um we got some really cool stuff cooking um for the next phase so yeah Looking forward to, uh, to seeing you again. Awesome. Well, everybody check out wearemarketpeople.com and connect with Rich. And uh, you can email him, like you said, at rich at wearemarketpeople.com. And we'll include that in all the show notes. But thanks so much for being on, Rich. I appreciate it. It was great to catch up. This show is brought to you by Today's Business Leaders. Learn more at our website, todaysbusinessleaders.com. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify today.